I can remember facing that dark, shrouded creature like it was yesterday, and it still brings tears to my eyes. I was in the second or third grade, and we had just moved from Alabama to South Carolina, and everything was new. New home, new place, new church, new people, new school, and all I wanted to do was fit in. I so wanted to make friends quickly. So I looked for every opportunity I possibly could to fit in. And I found it in the girls' bathroom. Of all places, the girls' bathroom. It is filled with girls, fourth and fifth grade girls, along with us little ones. And I'm in the stall, and lo and behold, there's my opportunity. I couldn't wait to go out and share with these girls so that they, they would accept me and they would find me cool because at least I can read So I come barreling out of that stall and say, y'all will not believe this. Somebody misspelled the word luck. (laughs) You can laugh now, but I did not laugh then. Fourth and fifth grade girls can be brutal. They jumped on that like a tick on a dog. They said, oh, you are such a baby. You don't know anything. It was horrific for me. Looking back on it as an adult, what I can really zone in on that breaks my heart was that loss of innocence. In one second, innocence was gone. Back then, as a little girl, all I felt was that kick in the gut. What is this feeling? I've never felt this before. I didn't know what it was. I could not have told you the word if you'd asked me. But that was my first brush with inadequacy. So we go out on the playground later, and hopefully this is all over. And I'm on the monkey bars. You remember, that's what Tom girls did. And I look over, and under a tree is a pack of fourth and fifth grade girls laughing and pointing at me. And all I wanted to do, besides throw up, was to get off those monkey bars and dig a hole in the ground and bury myself in it. To be perfectly honest, what I really wanted was my mommy. I don't like the way that felt. I don't like the way it sticks to us and we carry it. I don't like how it can define your life if you let it. Speaking of defining your life, let's talk about feet for just a minute. Feet. I always adored my daddy. And when I was a little girl, I went to daddy and I said, Daddy, I want my feet to be just as big as yours. (laughs) And my daddy, with his southern charm, looked at me and he goes, Doll, that is not what you want. You want tiny little girl feet. You want feet like your mommy's. Well, bless his heart. My mercy, he did not mean to do this to me. But you can imagine, my mother is a five and a half or a six. I'm a nine. (laughs) These are boat feet in my family. I can share with you that this is my shoe of inadequacy that I have carried my entire life. This shoe represents hatred of part of my body. What's your shoe? 
Maybe it's your biceps. Maybe it's your brain. Could it be your communication skills? Your career? What about your parenting skills? What's your shoe? Well, let's define inadequacy. And if you go home and look this up, I promise you there is nothing pleasant. It means inept. It means insufficient. It means deficient. It is not a pleasant word. The worst of them all, the definition that kills me, is defective. Have you ever felt defective? If we are real and we are honest, we will all admit that at some point in our lives, we have felt chained to a stake in the ground that's called inadequacy. All of us. All of us feel it, and all of us try to cover it up. We try to cover it up with a big ego. People can tell. We try to cover it up with being passive-aggressive. Oh, people smell that out in a heartbeat. Maybe we cover it up with materialism. Big house, nice car. I've got an award-winning front lawn, people. It doesn't work. Maybe, just maybe, we try to cover it up by just fitting in. You know what I mean? You fly under the radar. You hope nobody pays too much attention. Because if they don't, Maybe, just maybe, they'll believe it really is a storybook marriage. Maybe they'll believe that it's a perfect family. Maybe they'll believe that you have perfectly obedient children. Research shows that for women, since it's Mother's Day, for women, the top inadequacies are, number one, fear of being alone. I'm not good enough to keep somebody. I'm going to end up all alone. Number two, and oh, I can relate, loss of a child. I'm not a good enough mother to raise a child to adulthood. Number three is breast cancer. Number four is weight gain. This is what makes us feel inadequate. Number five, we feel insufficient in social situations. We want to make that great first impression. Fear of no longer being attractive. That's if you ever felt attractive to begin with. And the last one is change. We don't adapt well to change. How many of those are self-perceived inadequacies? More importantly, how many of those do we share? I'm not a big believer in misery loves company. I never have been. But there is something to be said for someone standing beside you who understands, who gets it, who's been there and done that. Because I don't want to sit in this pool of inadequacy all alone. Well, I'm so happy to tell you that you are not alone. You have never been alone. Back in the first century and probably beyond, there was inadequacy. There was a young girl named Mary. And she was 12 or 13 years old when the angel Gabriel came and said, You are the chosen one. You are highly favored. Ladies, girls, can you imagine? New mommies, 12 or 13. She is a baby who is about to have a baby. 
But this is the savior of the world. You bet she felt inadequate. 12 or 13, she was young. She was weak. She was poor. And she was female. That's four strikes. Her people had no idea that God would use her in a mighty way. One of the mightiest ways known to all humankind. But God saw something different in Mary. God saw trust and he saw obedience. God knew Mary so well. He knew that she would go along with his plan. He knew about the trust inside her. He knew that she was obedient. So he didn't even look at those four strikes. He went to the heart of the matter. Now what did Mary think about all this? Inadequate? I don't know, but I know that she probably knew she would be facing disgrace. She's an unwed mother. She probably knew that Joseph would leave her. This was his disgrace as well. Worse, Joseph could have had her stoned to death. But still, Mary submitted to God's plan. When you think about a 12 or 13-year-old, or even myself at my age, I cannot comprehend the pain and suffering that she was going to face. To raise her beloved firstborn child and to see him walk with a cross on his back and the shoulders carrying the weight of the sin of the world, that's bad. But think about it. For Mary, how much worse was it She saw her own sins on the shoulders of Christ. I can't even comprehend that. But Mary did it and Mary rejoiced. Let's look in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 49. This is a portion of scripture called Mary's song. And it says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. What does mindful mean? It means that he is thinking of her. God has got Mary on his very mind. He knows her. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary understood that God was doing something for her in his plan. That is his ultimate plan for us all. To do something for us. Mary believed. How do we know that Mary believed? Right before this passage, her Aunt Elizabeth tells her, You are blessed Because you believe the Lord will do what he says. Mary believed. It is our first key of getting out of this pool of inadequacy that we're drowning in. To believe. Mary knew she was created in the very image of God. In his very image. That's where compassion comes from. That's where generosity comes from. That's where love comes from. That's why we have those inside ourselves. Because they are the very characteristics of God himself. How did she know this promise? This is something that never struck me all the times I've read this scripture in the past. How did she know about his promises? Mary knew scripture. 
Mary was taught scripture. Mary memorized scripture. Like all the other young Jewish girls of that time, they prayed to be the mother of the Savior. Mary knew about the promises because she knew scripture. It's so clear to me. How are we to understand the reassurance of God? How do we understand hope at all if we don't know what he promises us? We've got to be in scripture. If we're really honest with ourselves and we're willing to admit that at some time or now we are chained to that stake in the ground called inadequacy, maybe we've got the courage to admit what we think of ourselves. It's the dark of night and it's you and your thoughts and that's it. What are you thinking? I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm never going to make anything out of myself. Are you hearing words of a former teacher who told you you'd never get it? Are you hearing the words of your mother who said, okay, I guess we've got to go to the chubby section for school clothes? Husky section if you're a boy from the South. <laughs> but what does God think about us? We may have this reel going in our head of our inadequacies, or we can use our ego to cover them up. Well, at least my job's better than his. At least I've got a nicer car than she does. Either way, what's important is what God thinks of us. If you would please turn turn to Psalms 8. We're going to start with verse 4. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. There's that word again, mindful. We are on God's mind. He knows us. He thinks about us. Scripture even says he sings over us. Verse 8. You have made them a little lower than angels. This blows me away because you know what our children are being taught in school That we're this much higher than the animals. God is saying we're only slightly lower than the angels. What a difference in a child's life on how they perceive themselves. And crowned them with glory and honor. Crowned means to be invested in. To be rewarded. God is telling us that he trusts us. We are honorable. We are worth Something to him. Verses 6 through 8. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put under their feet all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild and the birds in the sea and the fish in the sea and all that swim the paths of the seas. That's how much he trusts us. God doesn't make anything that's unworthy. And he certainly wouldn't make us unworthy and then entrust us with all creation. Verse 9, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, that word majestic speaks to a woman and a little girl. That's princess talk. That's royalty. We relate to that. So how can we be reassured if we don't know our Father in heaven? If we don't know his promises and his hope that's found in scripture. I want us to get out of the pool and get to know him. There are a few ways we can do this. And I've talked about a couple. Believe 
You have to believe him. Get in the Bible. Find his hope and his promises in there for you. They relate today, absolutely. Know that you are valued by him. Stop that reel in your head saying that you're unworthy and you're not good enough. He holds you at high value. Where you are today, right this minute, is God's perfect plan. I know that God loved me when I was in second and third grade before I lost that sense of innocence. But you know what? I know that God loves me today, right here and now, with all that baggage I brought with me. This is part of his perfect plan. This is our holy history that we're writing. Don't squander this one-time opportunity. Persistent prayer. Don't stop your prayers. Prayers, I'm sorry. I talk to people all the time. I, I prayed for five years. I prayed for 10 years. I prayed for 20 years. And God answered my prayers. Be persistent in your prayers. Community. Church. Be in community with other believers. New families over here. We are all here for you. Together we want to help you fulfill the promise that you made on this stage when you dedicated your baby or your children to God. We are a community. We are a family. Join in that community. And you've heard from the stage many times. Spend 15 minutes alone with God a day. At least 15 minutes alone. This is where you hear the voice of God. Make it sacred. You know, I talked a minute ago about fitting in and flying under the radar and don't look at me too closely. I met a woman for the first time two weeks ago. We met at a Starbucks. She's not a harborsider. She's, she's not even an acquaintance. It's somebody I met for the first time. And you never really know where that kind of a conversation is going to go. She said something so profound to me. She looked me dead in the eye and she said, I don't want to just fit in anymore. I want to belong. I don't want to fit in anymore. I want to belong. And when I belong, I want to radiate. I want to radiate with God's love and what he's done for me. I want people to know there's something different about me. There was a Jewish businessman one time, and he looked at me across a conference room table, and he goes, what's different about you? He said, is it your family? Is it your faith? And I said, yes and yes. And it was like Christmas because I got to share the gospel with a Jewish businessman. If you're chained to that stake of inadequacy, please hear me. God loves you. You are worthy. Yes, I have felt inadequate about my feet. Always. Yes, I have felt inadequate as a daughter and a sibling. Oh my goodness, I have felt inadequate as a mother and a wife. And now, as, as time shifts, I've got two adult young men that I'm the mother to. And they each have beautiful wives. So for the first time, I've got girls in my family. But the best part of all is the most beautiful baby granddaughter in the whole world is mine. <laughs> do I still feel inadequate? I do. I do, but I don't want that to bleed over on them. 
And I pray that God will strip this off of me and I can feel worthy in his eyes. You know, whenever I feel like I'm in that pool, and maybe even I've got cement shoes on these size nine feet, I, I bring an image to my brain. So has anybody here ever seen a baby dance? Okay, take another step. Have you ever seen a baby dance naked? <laughs> One more. Have you ever seen a baby dance naked in front of a mirror? <laughs> oh, how I love you. I love you in that mirror. I am perfect. I am beautiful. So Harper is 11 months old now, and she dances. She dances like, <laughs> and we all do it with her because it's so much fun, and it just fills us up with joy. Oh, I want to learn from that baby. She is unmarred. She is unscarred. She doesn't hear the voices in her head. She looks at herself naked in a mirror and knows that this is beauty. This is how God created her. It's how he created you. And it's how he created me. Oh, I want to learn from this baby. And I don't want to be defined by my inadequacies. Do you? No, none of us do. Through prayer and Bible study, I've learned two things about how I can get over that feeling of being unlovable, which has defined my life. And the first one is believe. I have to believe my husband when he tells me, I love you. I have to believe my sons when they put their arms around me and they say, Mama, I love you. I have to accept that embrace from my friends when they tell me they love me. I just have to believe like Mary did. The second tactic that I take is a little bitty photograph that I keep on my office desk. Nestled amongst the pictures, there's one of Ken and me in a gondola in Venice kissing and pictures of my family. But there's one tiny little old and faded photograph. Good-looking daddy, a very fashionable mom with those cat eye glasses, you've you got to admit, my older brother and younger sister. And I, I keep that specifically for one reason. I don't ever want to forget little Elisa. She's got the same big hair, but her eyes are innocent. I never want to forget little Elisa. So when I feel overwhelmed with the world, that's where I go. Unmarred, unscarred, before she had ever been made fun of on the playground, before she ever felt unlovable, and before she ever had boat feet. <laughs> but I will say that um, this has been my nemesis my whole life. My two sons met two beautiful blonde young women and fell in love and married them, and they have enriched our lives so much. But I was with Heather one day, and I was whining and complaining about my feet and how big they were. And she looked at me, she goes, oh, well, what size are you? And I said, I'm a nine. And she goes, oh, really? Me too. She said, isn't that normal? Normal. My feet have never felt normal. But this beautiful girl with perfectly proportioned feet is the same size as me. 
So today I can hold this up proudly and say, this is a size nine. It's a normal size nine and it's really cute. (laughs) The best part of all, this is not my shoe. Heather bought these shoes for herself and she gave them to me. I am part of the club. I belong. I belong. What's your shoe?